The following sermon was delivered during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is our guest preacher for today's service. Let us pray. God of all times and places, God of all years, you have brought us to this moment. You have brought us to this place and this time. You have brought us to your word. As we listen for the word that you are speaking, help us to hear you, only you. And then give us courage to follow. This we ask in your name. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the 18th chapter of Genesis, the first 15 verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh yes, you did laugh. The word of God, for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Why did Sarah laugh? I suspect that she laughed for some of the same reasons that Abraham laughed when God issued the same promise to him just one chapter earlier in Genesis. At their age, in their 90s, a baby 
is absurd. It's physically and emotionally impractical, if not impossible. It wasn't always that way, of course. The promise from God of offspring has been there from the beginning, from when Sarah and Abraham were Abram and Sarai. Genesis 13, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Genesis 15, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them so shall your descendants be. Genesis 17, as for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now many miles and moons have passed since God's initial promise, and many miles and moons since God reiterated those promises. Only the offspring the children promised have never come, and now Abraham and Sarah are old. Everything else that God promised seems to have fallen into place, but Sarah's lack of children is more than a missing piece to the puzzle. It's a missing keystone. How can there be a nation without descendants, a galaxy without stars? For Sarah, a woman, it is her worth, her want, her place. And so while her laughter and Abraham's laughter may have in common an absurd suggestion by God that they will now have a child, you don't have to look very hard to suspect that there might be more underneath Sarah's laughter, more that she is carrying in her body and in her heart. One scholar suggests that the Hebrew form and usage for laughter that appears here implies that Sarah's laughter is hiding the more significant emotions, the real emotions Sarah wishes to repress. What might Sarah's laughter be repressing? Well, it feels to me like Sarah is using this laughter as armor to keep her from exposing the wound that she carries with her, the wound of this unkept promise a hurt that is so deep that she is no longer willing to allow herself to be vulnerable to the possibility. As a result, Sarah holds this prediction, this promise from God at arm's length. She is unwilling to embrace or trust it. In the words of singer-songwriter Kate Campbell, maybe for Sarah hopes too hard. The song goes, I wish I could see beyond, far beyond the far horizon. My eyes are tired from looking up and mourning like a dove. Hope's too hard, and I'm too weak. I don't know if I can keep holding on beyond my reach. Love, please don't let me go. Open arms and laughter and hope and bitterness and despair. There are lots of reaction to God's visit in today's text. This text where in this day, everything and nothing changes for Sarah and Abraham all at once. And maybe I'm reading all of this into the text, but maybe I'm doing that because those are the emotions that I seem to be feeling within myself and around me and in our nation in these days when it seems as though for us too, nothing and everything is changing all at once. 
I'm hearing anxiousness and even some fear as phrases like defund the police and reparations become more a part of our regular lexicon. I'm seeing people who are on the side of justice pause to do that work to consider what it means to have our own tables overturned, to ask ourselves what needs to be reformed and what must be deconstructed. We held a Black Lives Matter protest here in Lewisburg last week. There were hundreds of people there. It shut down an entire city block. Now that may not sound like much, but for Lewisburg, West Virginia, that was huge. So many different people spoke and the voices that were lifted up spoke with fierce passion and truth. We all got down on the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Now I'm still a relative newcomer in Lewisburg. I've only lived here for four years, but I've been told that Lewisburg hasn't seen anything like that. What I can say from my 23 years of experience in ministry that has traveled across many states, but began in New York City, just down the street on Fifth Avenue, while I was a student at Union Theological Seminary. What I can say is this feels different to me. Representative John Lewis told reporters recently, this feels and looks different. People from all over the world are taking to the streets and the roadways to stand up, to speak up, to speak out. Ta-Nehisi Coates said just a little over a week ago, he said, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but I see hope. I see progress right now. But this hope and this optimism, like Sarah's laughter, isn't monolithic. It has layers to it, layers that require attention. Because for many right now, hope is hard. One week ago, the Reverend Denise Anderson former moderator of the Presbyterian Church USA, and now the coordinator for racial and intercultural justice wrote, I'm honestly really glad that more of you are getting it now. But before you lace up your shoes for another demonstration or direct action, consider the deeper work you are called to do in this moment. If the predominantly white church wants to do this work with any integrity and efficacy, it must choose reparation over performance. In a similar vein, the Reverend Mark Antoine Laverine wrote that since the recent murder of George Floyd, a large number of Christians who were formerly silent on issues of racial injustice have made the decision to speak out. He says, I am woefully skeptical of new allies who have rushed to protest without examining the ways in which their own theologies continue to nurture it. Now these honest words may be hard to hear, but I suggest that if we can understand Sarah, if we can understand Abraham, if we can understand their doubt, their skepticism, then we can understand the doubt and the skepticism of this current moment. And yet, also like Abraham and Sarah, I believe that we are at a moment, a moment when we have the opportunity to get out of the roundabout, the traffic circle, the hamster wheel we've been traveling for lo so many years, repeating this cycle over and over again of injustice and then outrage and then moving on and forgetting 
only a few months later to begin it all over again. I believe we are at a moment when we have the opportunity to exit this loop and to begin to travel in a new, more faithful direction. Do you know how scientists recently described those who travel in circles? Lost. A few years ago, they did an experiment to see if it could be proven if people who are lost really do tend to walk in circles or if that was just anecdotal evidence or stories that are told. They tested the theory in different times and terrains. And what they found is that people do, in fact, travel in circles when they are unsure of their location or destination. Then they tested this theory in a laboratory. They put people in blindfolds and asked them to walk straight. And this time they found that not only did people walk in circles, they walked in small circles of just 66 feet in diameter. Do you know who doesn't walk in circles? Those who aren't lost. Those who have landmarks, something to see and something to guide them, a location and a destination. The sun or the moon, maybe even a righteous oak or a tree like the one that Abraham camps near in our text for today. A terebinth, we're told. A holy, sturdy tree where one should not be surprised if they encounter God there. Friends, if we have any hope, and I hope that we do, of getting out of this cycle, this loop, might it not be because now we are able to hold on to God as a landmark in a way we haven't previously? The God of all justice, the God of all mercy, the breath of the God of creation, a creation that is ongoing and still unfolding. The breath of Jesus that gave voice to the commandment that tells us we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. The breath of the Holy Spirit that comes as fire. A fire that will not let us go and neither will it allow us to remain where we are. Cannot that God be our landmark? our location, and our destination. Walter Brueggemann, commenting on these verses in Genesis, reminds us that once again, this story shows what a scandal and difficulty faith is. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. Embrace of this radical gospel requires shattering and discontinuity. Embrace of this radical gospel requires shattering and discontinuity. I think that might just be 2020's motto. And while on many days I can confess that I wish there was less shattering and more continuity, I can also confess that that says far more about my own sin than the world and what God needs for us to do and where God needs us to be in order for the kingdom to be welcomed. Because shattering and discontinuity in order to embrace the gospel might break us, but that breaking might just be the thing that allows our eyes to open, to fix our direction on God as our location and our destination. What does that look like for you? I hope that you'll be asking yourself that question in the week ahead. That's what I'll be asking myself. I know that I can't answer the question for you. 
I do know that it looks different depending on where you are. For some of you, the work ahead is radical self-care in a time where the evidence that not all lives are equal is on broad display. For others, it is the work, the deep work of excavating and repenting. And for still others, it is prophesying and building. And while the landmark to which Fifth Avenue and Old Stone Presbyterian churches fix our gaze may be the same, the actions we need to take right now will look different. Where are you in your skepticism and your hope? Where are you in your own action and your willingness to lay down that which distracts you from God and let it go? What scripture teaches us is this. Isaac was, in fact, born when God said Isaac would be born, and not because Abraham hosted a feast, not in spite of Sarah's laughter. Isaac's birth was not because, but therefore. It was God's promise, and God keeps God's promises. While we are still sinners, while they were still sinners, Sarah is the one who violates the image of God in her servant Hagar when she does not feel as though God is responding on the timeline that she, Sarah, expects. It is a violation that will occur time and again throughout Genesis. It prompts womanist theologians to declare that Sarah's actions tell us that there are some places where liberation and survival cannot coexist. Abraham, Abraham silences Sarah's voice, passes her off as his sister, would risk sacrificing Isaac, the very gift God has given him, and who is unwilling to stand up for what he knows to be right when it comes to his firstborn son, Ishmael. Even to them, God comes. Even to them, God keeps God's promises. And even to us, God's God comes. So friends, when we consider the feast of this day, the laughter that ensued, the brokenness that this laughter revealed, even when we know all of this, friends, may we remember, let us embody the truth of faith, that even when hope is too hard, nothing is too hard, nothing is too marvelous or too wonderful for God. Nothing can surpass God. That is the truth and the love that is knit within each one of us, the image that we can reflect when we look in God's mirror and when we use that mirror to see others. It is my prayer that we use that mirror, that faith, that love that holds fast to us even when that love seems beyond our reach. It is my hope and my prayer that we are breaking out of the loop that we have been traveling in for far too long that some would suggest hundreds of years too long. And that in this moment, with God's help, we can be lost no longer, but found. With God as our guide, we will travel forward. So let us fix our eyes on that. Alleluia. Amen. As we head into the benediction, I want to thank you for the privilege of worshiping with you today. Thank you to the congregation of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church.
Thank you to Scott Black Johnston and everyone who has been so welcoming. As I always tell my congregation whenever we gather, it is good that we are together. And now, friends, know that as we leave this time of worship, that wherever you go, whatever you do, you are God's beloved child. So speak the good news. Deliberate the will of God. Comfort the fearful. Reach out to the lonely. Hope, pray, and laugh. And may God create in us bountiful souls. May Jesus Christ walk beside us. And may the Holy Spirit add passion and purpose to our steps. Alleluia. Amen.